Well, good to see everybody today. I'm so glad that you are here. Come on, we'll celebrate God's goodness together. Glad you're uh, here. If you're not, uh, if you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here, and I want to just speak to the men for just a moment, real quick. We've got a men's retreat coming up in two weekends. Two weekends from now, uh, a bunch of us are going to be together at, at, at uh, Mount Palomar Christian Conference Center, and we're going to be diving into what it means to to rise up in in war in this spiritual life in Christ that we get the privilege of living. I'm looking forward to being a part of it, and I hope that if you haven't had a chance to sign up for it yet, you'll do it. Just get online and uh, sign up, or talk to Eric or Eric out in the patio. It'll be great. I hope you'll be a part of it. All right, so I wanted to just start off with this new series called One with a scripture that goes way back. And, and this is a scripture that has become a prayer among God's people, in particular the Jewish people. It's called the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want you to just hear this simple prayer. And it's a call to worship. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Put that up on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel. I'm going out of order. You got to track with me anyway, guys. Put it up. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel. Okay, you just repeat it after me. All right, they got it for you. Okay. Hear, O Israel. Say it with me. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, we start there with this call to recognize who our God is. God who is one. It is in his very nature and essence and identity. The Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God who is one. And throughout the history of God's people, in particular in the Jewish community, this became a call to worship. Here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He's one. And we are made in his image, and we get to reflect that oneness. And in this series called One, what I want to do is take a few weeks to dive into what it means that the Lord our God is one and that he's called us to be one. And at first blush, it seems like, oh, yeah, we got that. All right, we're talking about unity. Okay, done. But I think maybe we got to do a little bit of deeper digging, and I think we're going to have a chance to do that in this series. But for me, a picture of this uh, it comes from like my, my, my upbringing. I, I grew up uh, playing cello as a kid, and I didn't become virtuoso or anything like that. I mean, I just played for like four years. Anybody else play in a band or orchestra as a kid? Raise your hand or type in line. I played the, what did you play? Somebody shout out, what did you play? The French horn, uh, the piano. Anyway, so some of you can relate to this, right? So I played the cello and uh, got good enough to, you know, enjoy it a little bit as a kid can. But one of my favorite moments in the orchestra as a kid was the moment uh, when, when we were going to have a recital and the whole orchestra is gathered in there and we're setting up and, and everybody's playing all of this wild stuff on their instrument and it's all over the place. But then... All of a sudden, from somewhere in the back, uh, somebody starts playing the oboe, and they're playing the note A, and everything changes. All of a sudden, people stop playing all of their mad, crazy, whatever else, and everybody just starts playing that A. And at first, it sounds disastrous. You know, it's like everybody's out of tune, but what's happening is that oboe is setting the pitch, and everybody else is tuning in on it, and as people adjust their tune, then everyone's playing the same note, and then everybody starts surging, and then there's this, this great surge of everybody playing that note all at once, and I loved it. I loved the experience because I knew that having that moment where we could tune in was what was going to make the rest and what would follow sound good. And you know what I'm thinking is that as the body of Christ, we, we need to have our own opportunity. And, and sometimes uh, we need to reset on this opportunity to get that, that 440 hertz frequency. That's the A of the oboe for any uh, music lovers out there. But to get that tuning right. And we get to come into a, a, a tuning that is about the love of God, the power of God, the presence of God, our God who is one. And so I want you to just get this in, in your mind as we're diving in in this series, the, the one God that we know and love. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, there is one God, 
the Father, by whom all things were made. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we were created and through whom we live. One God, the Father. Everybody just say, one God, the Father. There's one God, the Father. And from time to time, you and I, if we're going to come to unity in the body of Christ, we do need to recalibrate and reset the tuning around our one God, the Father, through whom all things were made, and the one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we live. We, we set our minds, we set our spirits on our one God, the Father, because otherwise, you know what can kind of happen? is other kinds of priorities can begin to come in and take the first place in our lives. And if we're going to experience unity in the body of Christ, we do need to come together around our one God and Father and the one Lord, Jesus Christ. This is what real unity in the body is about. You know, I think about how powerful uh, unity is and how important it is and just a couple of examples. Like, for example, uh, in, in this country, I mean, back in the day, uh, because there was unity, uh, we were able to overthrow the British, and a whole new nation was born. And then fast forward just a little bit, because there was unity in the 1800s, uh, a, a better future was won through a better freedom for this nation. Fast forward a few more years after that, in the 1840s, because there was unity, the Nazis were defeated, and World War II was won. Fast forward a few more years after that, the Russians put a satellite in space, but because there was unity over here, we put a man on the moon, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there is something about unity that is powerful, but in all of the cases that I just mentioned, that is a unity based on having a common enemy, and that's powerful, and I celebrate all that I just described and all the other kinds of national achievements where there's unity and based on overcoming an enemy. But in the body of Christ, our unity is not meant to be ultimately a unity based on what we're going uh, to defeat and what we're uh, facing as an enemy, but instead, we're meant to have and experience a unity together based on the glory of God. And, and I'm going to build a case for this in the scriptures, and I want to invite you to come into uh, embracing this. In fact, this is my message today. This is what I'm hoping that you would internalize as a resolve. It would be simply this, that I choose unity in my Christian community based on the glory of God. I choose unity in my Christian community based on the glory of God. I want you to just say this out loud with me. Just try it on, say it out loud with me, ready, go. I choose unity in my Christian community based on the glory of God. Not based on what I'm against, not on based on who I'm going to shout down louder, but based on the glory of God. I'm not saying that it isn't valuable to take a stand on certain things, but I'm saying that you serve a Savior, Jesus, who's called us in the body of Christ to experience a unity that's based on his glory, the glory of God. And when we can come to a place of experiencing unity together, it's amazing. It's, it's awesome. The words that the Bible uses to describe how awesome it is are the words good and pleasant. I mean, this is what it says in Psalm 133. Psalm 133, talking about this beautiful thing called unity. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I love this picture in the scriptures, and I want to make sure we get it in our minds together. So just verse 1, 133, verse 1. Uh, why don't you just shout this out loud with me? Ready? Say it. Go. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This is the inspired word of God. So this is Holy Spirit almost going, oh, I just love it. I love it when my people are together in unity. But the way that the verse is structured, it, it, it comes across with a, a kind of a, a, a sense to it where it says, how good and pleasant it is when. 
God's people come together in unity. And it seems to imply something, doesn't it? How good and pleasant it is when? It seems to imply that it's not always the case that God's people are coming together in unity. Do you see it? How good and pleasant it is when this happens. And if you look at the broad sweep of scripture, what you find is that it is often the case that there is division among God's people. It's not just that it's once in a while that there's division. It seems to be often the case. Even in the Old Testament, so much of the Old Testament after King Solomon is marked by God's people being divided and the Spirit of God working to bring God's people prophetically back together. But you know what it takes? It takes a lot of people deciding that that matters. It takes a lot of people deciding that what God has expressed in his word matters. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. And then it goes on to describe it. It says, it's like the, it's like the, the oil running down from Aaron's head, down his beard, onto the, onto the robe that he's wearing. Aaron was the high priest. And what the language that's being used here is describing is the anointing. The moment that Aaron was anointed, oil was poured on him, and it was a symbol, a prophetic symbol of the spirit. Spirit of God resting on that man. And I don't have much experience with high priests or uh, anointing, but I do actually have one experience of actually anointing a, a priestly person named Aaron. <laughs> and here's what happened. Pastor Aaron Russ was consecrated as a pastor in our church last year. I had the privilege of being able to be the one to, 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 to pour. That's right. Some people love Pastor Aaron. But I got to be there and I poured the oil. I didn't just do a little dab, like a little touch on his foot. I poured a bottle of holy anointing oil on him. And it literally did run down Aaron's beard, and it literally, he, he should have been wearing a robe, because then it would have been full on Psalm 133, but the oil did get on his shirt, and here's what I observed, what I saw was, I saw Aaron was like shaking his hair like this, and his hair was like whipping around, and, and, and then he was laughing, he was laughing with like a sense of delight, and there was something about that moment of being anointed that, that really went far beyond just the oil, and it really was about the anointing of the Spirit of God to bring joy, to bring freedom, to bring breakthrough. And when there's unity in the body of Christ, it provides the atmosphere in which the anointing of God can come upon your life. And the scripture says this unity, it's like that anointing oil running down Aaron's beard, but it's also like the dew of Hermon settling on Mount Zion. That's another one of the word pictures, birthed by the Holy Spirit. It's like, do unity is like anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's the first part of that. And then unity is like the dew of Hermon coming down on Mount Zion. Dew. What is dew? Dew is when, when water goes from being a vapor, just something in the air, to becoming a liquid. It's about moving from an experience that is just kind of out there somewhere to being right here where I can touch it, where I can feel it, where the living water can satisfy thirst. Do you want the world around you to know the joy of the anointing of the Spirit of God? Do you want your life to be marked by the anointing of the Spirit of God and by the living water, the, the thirst-quenching presence of God? I mean, because this is what unity makes possible. And when I think about it, the oil that, that was anointing Aaron's head in this scripture in Psalm 133 runs down his beard and gets all over everything else. The dew, yeah, think about this. Imagine yourself getting up on a morning and, and you're walking through some, some grass with dew on it. It gets all over everything, right? And there's something about unity. It leads to an experience of the anointing and the presence of God that gets all over everything in your life. You begin to bring that sense of anointing and the presence of God that came through the unity of God's people into your family into your workplace, into the business that you operate, into that classroom you stand and teach in, into that hospital room. But it came from an experience of God's people being of one heart and of one mind and leaning in for an experience of the glory of God and determining that's my priority. 
And, and so I, I want to I see if maybe God could take us there to that experience of, of unity. And it said in, in Psalm 133, verse 3, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There the Lord, there where? There in the experience of the unity of God's people. An older translation says, for there is a place of commanded blessing. And it really is. It's a commanded blessing. It's a sure blessing that God decides when his people can get over themselves and their own selfishness and their own inclinations uh, to get just their own way all the time. When we as God's people can learn how to move past those things and decide that the glory of God matters more than me just getting my way and getting what I want all the time, then his spirit comes. Then the, the bestowed blessing, the commanded blessing comes. And it gets all over everything else in our lives, by the way. <laughs> but it's hard to get there. It's hard to get there because of us. Because of our ego. Because of our, our pride. Because of our stubbornness. Because of our woundedness. Because of our selfishness. <laughs> it, it, it is hard to get there. But God's word declares it to be a possibility, something that we can lean in for. Amen. And this is what we, we, we are called to, but it's tough because of our, sometimes even just because of our preferences. Like, for example, a couple of months ago, I got a, a, an email from a guy who was th saying, I'm thinking about, in his case, he said, rejoining the church. But I have some questions. The, I have to, you know, these things all have to line up before I can possibly, you know, join the church. And his, his questions, just, just a few questions. He said, number one, has the church changed its position to be more in line with my view of 1 Timothy 2.12 regarding women in ministry? Number two, where does center point stand on critical race theory and white privilege? Number three, will people be turned away who have not taken the COVID-19 jab? Number four, can you attend center point church without a mask? Number five, is the process of altar calls at center point church with eyes closed or coming to the front in public as I believe it should be. Number six, does Centerpoint believe in replacement theology? Number seven, does Centerpoint believe in the literal interpretation of scripture? Number eight, does Centerpoint believe in a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ? Number nine, does Centerpoint Church believe that Daniel 9 unfolds seven year time period, the 70th week of Daniel that will culminate in the times of the Gentiles and the return of Jesus to the Mount of Olives? Number 10, does Centerpoint believe that the literal fulfillment of Revelation 6:19 and Zechariah 14 will happen in the next seven years? Number 11, does Center Point believe that properly taught eschatology is critically important considering the days we're living in. Oh my gosh. And this is just one guy with his list of his preferences. Welcome to my world. This is, but this is what happens. We, we can come to a place of going, and, and by the way, I mean, I, I respect those questions. And, and for this particular person, those are the most important ones. I don't know if they are Jesus' most important ones as to whether we could be united in one, as one church or not, but uh, this is what tends to happen. We tend to elevate our own perspectives or preferences and determine that that's the basis on which I'm going to have unity, my, my perspectives and preferences, rather than the word of God and, the, and what, what Jesus has said. Jesus said in Luke eleven seventeen 17, that a house divided against itself will fall. So, so it is important that we are able to consider what is the main thing. Yeah. And is the main thing the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed? Is the main thing people coming to know the, the life-saving power of Jesus? Yeah. Is the main thing that the word of God is proclaimed and people are raised up as disciples? Is the main thing that we are making disciples as Jesus called us to? Is the main thing that people are being regenerated and born again and brought out of darkness and into light? Is the main thing taking place? That should be the question we're asking. And when we live this way, with a prioritization of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, we get closer and closer to revival. Yes. And it's revival for all kinds of people, including every one of us. And it's what we need. It's what we're, we're craving. It's what our hearts are calling out for. But it, it, it calls for us to, in the midst of having strong feelings about all kinds of stuff that matters, to have stronger feelings about Jesus and his place as Lord of our lives. Yes. So listen, we, we got to take his, his words to heart. And so I want us to turn to John 17 for a moment. And we're turning to a part of the scripture where, where Jesus is praying 
And in John 17, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. He's, he's in this moment where he knows that he's going to be going to the cross. He knows that he's about to be crucified. He knows that he's about to be put in the grave. He knows he's about to be whipped and punished. And he, he knows that's what's coming. And nevertheless, he prays. And he prays for us. And he prays that we would be delivered from the evil one. He prays that we would recognize that we are not of this world. I mean, you can study all of John 17 and you'll see this. Jesus, with, with sweat dripping down his brow, prays that we would understand that we are not of this world. He prays for that. He prays for that. That requires a mindset shift on our part if we're going to step into the reality of what Jesus prayed for. But he also prayed further for us to experience unity. This is his prayer, John 17, verse 20. He's praying. Jesus says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you. I pray that they will be one. Your Savior, Jesus, Jesus that you love, Jesus who's opened the door to heaven for you, burying his face in the the dusty ground, praying, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is what Jesus is praying for. This is what the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is at work wanting to produce in us a a unity that would ultimately lead to the world around us knowing the saving power of Jesus Christ. But that unity doesn't come by autopilot, and that unity definitely does get threatened. It gets threatened because we get stirred up about stuff, and there's stuff that matters going on in our world. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but what can happen is that we can get so stirred up that we begin to determine the stuff that's gotten us stirred up out there. We're going to bring it right on in here, too. Let me just give you some ideas. There, there are a few things that have happened over this last year that have gotten us stirred up a little bit, and all of us have strong feelings about these things. Uh, just to remind you, let me just flash a few images on the screen to see if you, if you can understand what I'm talking about, the kinds of things that have gotten us stirred up to not necessarily be in unity. Because every one of these images that is flashing on the screen, these are things that all of us have strong feelings about. And we assume that everybody else in the room has the exact same feelings that we do. And we assume that they must, and if you didn't know what that last one was, that I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying that is a, a thing. <laughs> but we need to recognize this, that all of us, are on a journey where we're learning to follow Jesus, and that includes wrestling with the things that we have strong feelings about. And not everybody else in the body of Christ has the exact same perspective that you do on any of the things that I just flashed on the screen. In fact, we might have different views on some of those things. Should that mean that therefore we need to walk away from each other? Or could it be that maybe God would work within us to say, you know, as much as I do have strong feelings about these things, I want to have stronger feelings about my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he's called for to take place in his body, which is unity. I choose unity in my Christian community based on the glory of God. I'm not choosing unity in my Christian community based on conformity to my perspectives. I'm choosing unity in my Christian community based on the glory of God. 
Because I think that's what Jesus envisioned. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he said. He said in verse 21, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Do you see what Jesus is praying for? Jesus is praying that you and I would prioritize a personal experience of closeness and intimacy with our heavenly Father that would change us from the inside out. Jesus is praying that you and I would be people who choose to let our passions be directed into who God is, so much so that it could be true that we're experiencing, I am in you, Father, and you are in me, like that much closeness. When you live that way, the way Jesus envisioned that we would, in such closeness with your heavenly Father, that you would be one with your Father you begin to experience a flow of the love of God that melts the ice, a flow of the love of God that creates the right kind of holy fire inside of you. When you're experiencing that kind of oneness with your heavenly Father, you experience a lift from the depression and from the despair that would otherwise just have its grip around your ankles. When you when you live in that oneness with God that Jesus envisioned, that closeness and personal intimacy with God, you also begin to recognize that you have a family. Jesus chose to use this language of Father. I am in you, Father, and you are in me, Father. And may that same reality be the reality that my people experience. He's praying that we would experience this as a family. And I believe that we can get there. It's about valuing one another the way God values each of us. And I think that maybe for some of us, we've grown a bit in our lives to be able to, to see the goodness and glory of God in one another. And it's caused us to have a different kind of heart towards each other. And rather than arms folded across our chest and heels dug in against each other, the love of God moves us to a posture where we're, we have our arms open to one another because we're perceiving each other not according to this world, but knowing one another after the Spirit, knowing each other in the Spirit of God. Jesus prayed for this. He prayed we'd experience the glory of God, and not just so that we could get the church feels on a Sunday morning. But he prayed that we would experience the glory of God so that we could experience unity. Amen. This, is what, this is what he prayed for. Verse 22. Verse 22. John 17, 22. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Read this out loud with me from the screen. Go. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Why did Jesus give you the glory of God? Ultimately, it's so that you and I could experience being one. When we experience the glory of God, we're changed. You can't be in the glory of God and not be changed. You can't really be in the glory of God, but then stay in your bitter obnoxiousness. The glory of God has a way of just <laughs> chipping some of that stuff off. It's when I step out of my experience of the glory of God that I get back into my bitter obnoxiousness. <laughs> Am I the only one that has that problem sometimes? <laughs> I think that you and I need to recognize that Jesus intended for us to actually receive what he gave. He said, I have given them the glory of God so that they may be one. Have, have you received it, though, the glory of God? The glory of God. I want you to just say this phrase one time. I receive, I receive. the glory of God. <laughs> the glory of God. The thing is, this word glory, I mean, I don't even know that we exactly know what we're saying when we talk about glory. It's a, it's a word that has a lot of layers of meaning to it. On one hand, the word glory, by its strictest definition, it means weight or heaviness. That's literally the strict definition of that word glory. But when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the weighty, heavy goodness of the presence of God right here, right 
now, changing us, stirring the good stuff up inside of us, making us what we could never have been on our own. The glory of God is what allows us to live the life Jesus envisioned and even to become one. The glory of God. The glory of God leads to an experience of the power of the Spirit. It's the glory of God that would allow you to live with the power of the Spirit in such a way that you would become humble the way Jesus was. It's the glory of God that would empower you with such a holy confidence that you'd be willing to go as low as you need to go in any circumstance. It's the glory of God that lets that happen. It's the glory of God that leads you into an ability and a capacity to forgive. I mean, even the scriptures say it is the glory of God to overlook an offense. (laughs) It's the glory of God that gives you uh, the ability to serve one another in love. It's the glory of God that would allow you to look at other people that have different perspectives than you, but to value who they are despite the perspective or position they hold that's different than yours. It's the glory of God. The glory of God is while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That is part of the glory of God. And the glory of God allows you to step into that kind of posture with other people, brothers and sisters, that maybe things aren't right with, but they can be. Because the glory of God is empowering you. The glory of God gives you the grace that you need to experience the power of God in your life. The glory of God gives you the ability to have grace for other people. The glory of God uh, allows you to experience the supernatural presence of God that would bring healing and redemption and lift into your experience. What is the goal of your life, though? What is the goal of your life? What do you want to be known for? What are you known for? Are you known for everything I just described, the glory of God? Or are you known for your stubbornness and your obstinance and the staunch uh, stance that you're willing to take against them and, and them and everybody else? I believe that we are meant to receive that glory of God and then allow that glory of God to change us so that we can see one another through the glory of God for who we really are valued sons and daughters of the Most High who are invited to experience the kingdom of God. You know, it's amazing what can happen when we walk in unity together. Powerful things happen when we walk in unity together. It's kind of like this. Uh, Big old horses, Clydesdale horses. I heard this uh, illustration from Zig Ziglar. But, you know, you get one Clydesdale horse, and that horse can pull 8,000 pounds. You could picture one of those big old Clydesdale horses, and they can pull 8,000 pounds by themselves. But you can take another Clydesdale horse from a different state that never e- they've never even met each other, and you can put those two Clydesdale horses together, and they can pull 16,000 pounds, strong animals. But you can take a, a, a Clydesdale horse that's been matched well with another Clydesdale horse, and if they've been trained together, and they are of one mind, those two Clydesdale horses can pull 32,000 pounds. Unity makes all the difference in the world. And I believe that there is a secret source of kingdom horsepower that's available to you and I. And it is the unity of God's presence among us and willingness to step into an experience of the unity that God calls us to. So my question for you is, do you love Jesus? I mean, as as a believer, would you say, yeah, I love Jesus? Anybody raise your hand, shout something, say amen. Okay, you love Jesus. Did you hear what he prayed for? He prayed that we would find a way to be one. He really did pray for that. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to take a stand in the world on on things that we feel a passion about. In fact, we have to. We must. We must. And it just may be that as we do that with unity that's based on the glory of God rather than based on a hatred of them or an anger about that, maybe we'll prevail even more. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we can find a way to to choose a unity in the Christian community based on the glory of God, 
maybe he would empower the stand that we're taking on certain things to actually prevail because it's based on his glory rather than our fleshly anger. So choose it. I'm praying that we would, that we'd choose it. A, a unity in the Christian community that's based on the glory of God. That's why Jesus gave the unity that he gave. John 17, 23, one more time, said, I am in them. You are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The ultimate aim Jesus had was that the unity we experience would lead to an experience of the love of God for people. I'm grateful that somehow I've gotten to step into an experience of the love of God. Aren't you grateful that you've been able to step into an experience of the love of God that's changing you, that's lifting you, that's filling you, that's giving you access to the power of God and the hope of heaven? I think that Jesus wants that for many, many more. And today I want to pray that God would, would awaken some of us, awaken us to uh, the oneness that he's calling us to, and maybe even awaken us to some ways that we might need to have our own hearts softened so that we can get an experience of more of that oneness in the body of Christ. And so let's just take a moment, let's pray together. And God, I pray that you would do something in each one of us that would be like a softening work. And God, I praise you that you, you're doing that even right now. And while we're praying together, I'll let you know, during worship, I had this uh, vision, and this, I believe, came to me in the spirit. I couldn't get it out of my mind. God was giving me this picture of, uh, of, uh, of a ship that was going through ice and icebergs, and it was one of those icebreaker ships, and it was a ship that just kept on going, breaking the ice as it went because it, it had such a momentum, such a force, such a strength at the front of it. And, and I feel like God was showing me that as a picture of something he wants to do and he is doing even right now. Two sides of it, that right now God is chipping through the, the cold as ice heart postures that some of us have dug ourselves into. Think about a brother or sister right now that you, I mean, I'm talking about a brother or sister in church. While we're praying, just think of it. That you've kind of, it's, it's frozen. It's totally frozen. They said that, you said this, you, now you're against each other. That's it. It happened and you're, it's frozen that way. I really do believe that Part of what God is doing and is wanting to do is what he showed me in that, that picture in my mind, like that vessel that's just coming through, breaking through that ice. Would you partner with the Spirit of God? I believe that as a result of this message, there may be a conversation that you need to have with someone where you say, you know, I made my preferences uh, more important than who you are as a person, and I want to set that aside and tell you, I see the goodness of God in you again. And, and I see you the way God's calling me to see you. Let the ice get chipped away. Let God do something miraculous. Lord, I pray that in, in this particular church body, while all kinds of things come our way that we could get all divided about, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to keep things in the right order, where Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, that you are the main thing. And that everything else would remain secondary. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us. A miracle, really. That we would experience how good and pleasant it is when God's people are together in unity. God, I pray that you would do it. And I pray that it would lead to an experience of revival in this world. But I also pray right now, God, for the personal spiritual awakening that somebody needs. While we're praying together, the truth is, you're here, you're joined online, and God wants for you to know that there's a way for your sins to be forgiven, and for you to be saved for all eternity, and for your life to be changed forever. It, it is an experience of salvation and the kingdom of God. And Jesus, from all eternity, stands ready to receive you to receive you and forgive you and wrap his mercy around you and make you new. He's willing to do it. He paid the price on the cross and defeated death and rose from the grave so that he could be the living Lord who's able to take 
you and lead you in this life all the way into eternity. But, but he offers you this gift of his, his salvation and his kingdom as something that, that you're able to receive if you're willing. And if you're joining in this moment right now and you hear me praying and you're saying, I think I need to do that. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me, to save me. I want to ask for my sin to be forgiven. I want to give my life to Jesus. If you've never done that, I'm asking you to consider doing that right now. Give your life to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you and to save you. Ask him to be your Lord. Run into his open arms. And so God, I pray that you would do that awakening even right now. God, that for, for some of us, this would be the moment, once and for all, that we would say yes to Jesus and receive the gift of salvation and come into the kingdom of God. So while we're praying, if you are with me right now and you would say, I think I need to do that. I've never really said yes to Jesus, and I want to move beyond playing church, and I want to ask Jesus to really be my Savior and my Lord. I want to put my trust in Jesus and give him my life. If that's where you are right now, and you're finally ready to do that, would you right now with me just raise your hand as a way of finally saying, Jesus, I want to say yes to you and ask you to forgive me and save me. I want you to raise your hand right now, or if you're joining me online, I want you to type it into the comments and just simply say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And in this moment, with your hand raised, or as you're putting that word in the comments, I want you to pray with me. And you say something simple like this, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I'm asking you to forgive me and save me, Jesus. I want to I be made new. Just say that to him. I want to be made new. Would you rescue me? Save me from my sin. Save me from the evil one. Save me from the pit. Save me from the despair. Save me, Jesus. I'm yours. Just say that to him. Save me, Jesus. I'm yours. And thank you, God, that you are willing to heal. You are willing to heal. I believe that God's spirit is present in this moment to bring healing, a particular kind of healing. And that's healing of a frozen heart. I believe God wants our hearts to be warm, tender, open to his glory, able to reflect his glory. And I think some of us, our hearts have gotten frozen, stone cold, solid, not in a good way. And that the spirit of God is present right now to bring healing from a frozen heart. And some of you, you, this is exactly what you've been experiencing. You have felt like your heart has turned cold. And it may be that you've partnered with the spirit of division that has been uh, prowling around the earth the last year, and you don't even know it. And maybe that's part of why the heart has become as stone cold as it's become. But God is present right now to heal a frozen heart. That's what I'm praying that God would do right in this moment. If you would say, you know, I feel like that describes me. I feel like I've, I've, my heart has turned totally cold. And if you would actually like to experience God healing that in you, I want you right now to just raise your hand. You're, you're a believer, but you're going, you know, that has happened to me. I don't even know how I got there. But a couple people, thank you for just stepping in with the humility to acknowledge that that's what's happened. And there's somebody else too, man. You're not even willing to raise your hand because you're embarrassed but God is willing to break off the shame too and bring your heart to a place where your heart can be soft and tender again. So God, I pray you'd do it. You'd bring healing. And Lord, I pray for us as a, as a whole community of believers together that we wouldn't get trapped by the scheme of the devil that would call us into backbiting against each other. I pray, God, that you would do the miracle of bringing about unity. And I pray that it would happen because each one of us would be willing to come into close, loving oneness with you, God. Would you do it, Lord? Would you do it, Lord? Why don't you stand to your feet? And as we're standing, pray with me, God, I need you. I need you, God. And I want you to just take a moment right now before they just start singing. I want you to just activate spiritually. Right now in this moment, take a deep breath and just say out loud, I need you, God. 
I didn't hear hardly anybody, but would you just take another deep breath and just say it? I need you, God. Just one more time, deep breath and just say it. I need you, God. I need your power and your love. I need your power and your love, God. Just say it. I need you, God. Just open your mouth. Say it. I need you, God. Come on, believers, open your mouth and say it. I need you, God. I need you, God. Just acknowledge that you're hungry for his presence. Just say it. I need you, God. Okay, one more time. I want you to just hear this. God envisions a reality where in your life you are one with the Father. Just as Jesus is one with the Father, that's what he prayed for. But it's going to take you and me busting out of the familiarity. The familiarity where we just don't care. 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 Let a fire be lit in you. I want somebody to get your hands out of your pockets. I mean, for a moment, would you just take them out? For a moment, would you just take your hands out and maybe even just decide, my God's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my hunger. He's worthy of my, my desperation. We're never going to get where he wants us to go if we're going to be apathetic and cold. God, forgive us. God, forgive us our sin. Forgive us our coldness. Forgive us our apathy. Forgive us our distance from you. Forgive us for not wanting you the way you envisioned us wanting you. Forgive us, God, not stepping into the oneness with you that you paid for. God, forgive us for prioritizing our own preferences. God, forgive us for not embracing your glory. God, forgive us for not receiving what you said you gave. Jesus said, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Do you value it? Do you value it, the glory of God that changes everything? Right now, I want you to say, I receive the glory of God. Say it again. I receive the glory of God. God, Jesus, I pray that because we have your glory in us, that things would be different. God, I pray that because your glory is in us, we'd see other people differently. I pray, God, that you would give us kingdom lenses. Kingdom lenses. I'm going to ask you, God, to give us a different way of seeing each other. God, I pray that you give us an ability to see each other through kingdom lenses. God, let your glory be stirred up here in us. If you do want to live just a familiar, regular old life, don't pray with me right now. If you want to stay, just just stop the, just, just one note for a minute. Just one note, just one note. Just keep it on one note. There you go. Beginning of this message, I told you about the orchestra. And there's this moment, right, of tuning. And there's just one note. And there's just one moment where there's an opportunity to go, oh, yeah, this is it. Just play it, though. Play it, that one note. Like, <laughs> let, let it you know, be a little louder, too. Play it. And just imagine, right, like that, that God from all eternity is issuing a tuning note for us. It's closeness with God. It's intimacy with God. It's the love of God flowing into us and flowing through us. And we get to experience it, step into the reality of it. And as we do, we're changed. And as we do, the world around us is changed. So, Father, we step into it right now. Closeness with you. Oneness with you. Please, church, wake up. Please. Please, please step into this. Like, take a deep breath and... It's about stepping into the love of God, an experience of the love of God, that it would be like, like dew that you just can feel, right? Step into that. And in this moment, Maybe right now, take a deep breath and just simply say, God, I, I receive your love again this morning. We're tuning. 
God, I receive your love again this morning. Just say it to him. Close your eyes. Take a deep, deep breath. Oh, God, I receive your love again this morning. Thank you, God, for loving me. Just pray that way. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus. Come awaken your people. Come awaken this city. Oh, God of revival, pour it out. Just sing that. Come awaken. Sing it. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Sing it again. Come awaken us, God. Come awaken us. Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. Oh, God of you could be here and remember if you're new don't forget to go over to the blue tables we really do want to connect with you and thank you for being here with the gift and if you are joining us online uh, make sure to text connect to the number 951-397-2254 and if you need prayer this morning Please make sure you do not leave without being prayed for. We do have our prayer team up here in the front that is ready and waiting to pray with you. And so and if you want to know everything else going on in the life of our beautiful church, be sure to go to My Center Point on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, for all other updates, go to My Center Point TV. Church family, thank you for joining us this morning. Would you go in God's love? Would you go in God's grace? Would you go in His unity? Amen. <laughs>